Welcome to Economics Happy Hour. My name's Matt. And my name is Jadrian. And we are thrilled to be with you for episode two of season two in 2024. It's the second episode to drop in 2024. It's the first one we're recording together in 2024. How has uh, how has your new year gone so far? So far, not bad. Um, spent a week at uh, AEA meetings in San Antonio. Absolutely amazing. Uh, the numbers were down compared to previous years, but uh, still a lot of great people there. Still a lot of a lot of fun getting to run into people that I didn't know were going to go. Getting to see my old advisor, getting to see econ ed folks. Just great week in San Antonio. Uh, this week, furiously getting ready for the start of the semester, and so by the time this drops, I will be at least have started the semester and hopefully not as stressed out as I am right now getting ready for the start of the semester. That's How about you? Fair. That's fair. Uh, it's been good. We traveled over um, the last of 2023, and then I've been here since. We're going to uh, a wedding of a former student. I won't say the name on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know if she wants it, but you know who it is. A uh, former student of uh, who's well-known on in Twitter land, um, and our whole family's <laughs> going. because uh, That's awesome. Actually babysat the kids when they were younger, so it'll be a lot of fun. And no, it's just been, it's been a lot of catching up on stuff and, you know, report, right, you know, Kind of dean background stuff, AACSB yeah, yeah. reports, and I don't know, but it's been it's been good, and that that is what's keeping me stressed is not the getting ready for class, it's the administrative side of my job that is just everybody's back, and so everybody wants to meet. Yeah, yeah, it's it can be busy. We are AACSB reaccreditation visits in September. Our chair is doing a pre visit in April. We want to have the report done. To him about a month ahead of time so all of a sudden we're like okay the september visit we want the report done in early march uh you know that at least the first draft that's yeah. pretty, pretty good shape so but it's fine it's, it comes with the job right it's it that comes with the job it comes with you the agreed job. to do this job and what are you drinking today well we, i mean we can explain what you're not drinking uh and that way we can lead in with with well, mine so I will switch. I will say, so we talked last time about doing dry January and I had a good discussion and my wife and I talked and uh -oh. instead of dry January, I am limiting to a drink a day, but I want to kind of do this more or less throughout the year. Now, there'll be some okay. days where I have more than one, but then I need to have zero, you know, the day before or the day after people, I guess people have called it damp January, but one <laughs> strategy for damp okay. January or damp 2024 is if I have two beers in a night, one of them to be non-alcoholic. So Ooh. I actually have a non-alcoholic athletic brewing run wild IPA, which are really pretty tasty. Okay. I was going to ask if you've had this before, because I've heard that this is like a massive growth um, yeah. in like the beer industry of all these non-alcoholic beers. I am not sure that I've ever had a non-alcoholic beer. I actually, I may have had a no duels. Okay. Maybe. I bought this um, by mistake at the at a store <laughs> once. Okay. Uh, actually, I bought it by mistake when I made that trip to Trader Joe's. They had the individual ones, and I'd never had. And I'm like, I haven't had the Run Wild IPA. I've never had this at the athletic. And it was a non-alcoholic, and I had it, and I was like, you know, that's not really that bad. So, so it's it's not a bad strategy if you if I want to have a couple beers, you know, then one of them can be the non-alcoholic beer. So that's what. Uh, you know, Matt, they I, make this they they make this thing naturally called water that I feel like is the if you're not gonna drink a beer. Water doesn't uh, taste like beer. You know, I, this is a this is a space I don't know anything about. Um I think I had the Odules once as a joke. Um, but hey, you know what? You know what? It counts. 
We yeah. it we never said what we're drinking on. It's economics happy hour. It doesn't it's have to be a beer. beer. It literally is a beer, and it is on untapped. Yeah. Well, so ciders are. I'm gonna have a cider. Uh, okay. Next. So what I see, I see the top of your the bottle there. I got a shiner on here. So I'm shiner. having shiner Oktoberfest. Their Marzen style beer. Um, I had a six pack of it that I bought in the fall, and it has been sitting in the back of my fridge. I need to drink. So I need to drink these. And you're uh, just so... in Texas, so it seems appropriate to have a shiner. Yeah. You know, Oktoberfest is uh it's it's cold out, and so my rule is basically these darker brown ales, Marzens, Oktoberfests. As long as it's cold out, it's okay to have it. Yeah, yeah. Well, cheers. Cheers. I'm also having, uh, I shared this with Matt before we jumped on. Um, I was just in Texas, so I spent a week in Texas, which I just, I go crazy. I I don't know if you saw me post this online. Um, I, You know what, I'm actually, I'll say I'm really bad about this. Like really any city I go, I lean in hard on wherever I'm going. So the entire time I'm in Texas, I am basically just eating Mexican food, uh, Tex-Mex, Bucky's, barbecue. Like I, just, my diet is just wrecked for an entire week. Uh, but I did stop at a Bucky's, and uh, I did get a bunch of pecan, uh, pre-lean pecans, which are very okay. good. And I'm starting to slowly decorate my office right here, right above my shoulder. Uh, I have a Bucky Beaver bobblehead. So I would not have known what that is, but I can see it, and very cool. Very it's cool. Uh, here. I'll, I'll give you the logo if I zoom awesome. in. That's it's that guy. Okay, as a bobblehead. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah, I saw a photo where you mentioned like what you had at a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner on Twitter, and it, it did look pretty delicious. Breakfast taco. Yeah. What a burger for lunch, uh, barbecue for dinner. So I had uh, all three in one day. That 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 looked. Good. I left. I left very happy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's that's <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, you have all semester to eat right. But... Yeah. yeah. Of course. <laughs> I bought groceries today. Uh, so exactly. Exactly. I got groceries that'll sit in the fridge and I'll think about cooking. Lots of greens. Lots of greens. So, well, today, so it is January mm-hmm. and this is before any of the primaries, but the primary oh. season is coming out, uh, is, is, is launching for the presidential elections. And, well, you know, a lot of state and local races will also have primaries over the next few months. We thought this would be a good time to talk a little bit about how economists think about voting. And certainly we say mm-hmm. economists, there's, you know, the, Jadrian, you mentioned the ASSA attendance was down, which still might mean 5,500 right. economists yeah, were there. Story. You know, there's whatever, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 economists uh, in the U.S., um, you know, that have PhDs or the you know, the views will be pretty diverse, but we could talk a little bit about economic analysis and voting. So, yeah. So by the time people are listening to this, uh, Iowa should have just happened. Um, Matt and I are going to make no, no guesses on what's going to happen um, in no the, guesses, in Iowa, no. but, but uh, we'll talk you, about, uh, we, we can talk about economics of voting. We, we know a lot about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, there's a whole bunch of things we could start with this, but one, um, there's, I've taught this a little bit in my class. I teach a little bit about economics of voting. And the the first question, the question I will ask students is uh, why, you know, the marginal benefit, marginal cost. And I think mm-hmm. you kind of mentioned, but why, why do you, why vote? Yep. Like what is the, what is the purpose of voting for? And I think at a principles level, that is a, that I would say that is a very real life example of something that is covered very early on in a course. So marginal benefit, marginal cost, uh, you know, 
what's the cost of doing the next activity? Um, We can think about that even on a ballot, right? So, I mean, not really for the primaries, but like on a a general election ballot, you might have lots of people to vote for. Um, We can think about like, you know, do you just vote for the president and then leave? Um, If you think about like investing in voting, like learning about the candidates, how deep do you go in that investment? Do you uh, research multiple candidates, multiple races? So marginal benefit, marginal cost, one of the I'll say most important concepts. I think it generally is usually up there with the most important principles that we teach. Um, so Matt, go ahead. Marginal benefit, well, marginal cost of yeah, voting. Of voting. So the marginal benefit. So first of all, if we're talking about like traditional ROI, it almost never makes sense to vote. Quite tell frankly. me why. Um, so tell, the, tell the people why. I know, traditional, I know why, but tell yeah, the people why. So the monetary, you know, the return on voting, right? You're voting to get some, you have candidates you're voting for. Mm-hmm. that you think would do better. Other people have candidates they're voting for. And they may, of course, many of them disagree. Many of these people disagree with you. Your candidate may or may not win. If your candidate wins versus the other candidate, you're better off. And economists could assign a monetary value to how much you're better. We can assign monetary values to anything. Uh, stay tuned. You know, Two weeks from now, our next episode <laughs> will be a lot on economists assigning monetary values to things you may not have thought. The... Um, so you might be better off. Let's say your presidential candidate versus the other, and you are $10,000 per year better off over the next four years. I think that's probably really, uh, that might, that's, that's, I think that's being stunningly generous in terms yes. of the amount it could possibly be. But yes. let's say it's $10,000. Uh, the odds that your vote influences the election is so minusculely small that your expected value so the that $10,000 times the probability your vote influences the election is probably the equivalent of a penny or yeah. less. Oh, probably um, probably less. Probably <laughs> less. Uh there could Expe- be some well in a big state, right? In a I would say in a in a really so actually this is a this is a good chance that I'll I'll squeeze in here in even like a swing state like say you take Pennsylvania, right? Where you have millions of people voting. Right. You might be the chances that you are the flip might be one in a million. But if you take a, a state that is even if, like, it could even be, you know, on some of the close races, it could mm-hmm. be one in a thousand. Well, so what I was going to say. In some states where if you do not follow the political ideology of your state. So if you are in a blue state, but you are like a very blue state, but you're conservative, your vote like really doesn't matter uh, and so i think that that would be i was gonna say that's the extreme where like right the probability that your vote swings it is so small yeah so so it could be less so so that's the pure monetary so then the question would be um you know many people do vote and mm-hmm. what would be the reasons for why why i mean i assume you vote some of the time at least yeah, I voted um, every. What are the reasons? I, I vote in the presidential elections. Um, yeah, I don't vote in any of the other ones. I, I voted even in the last. Um, we had a general local one. My wife mm-hmm. was going to vote. I went and voted as well. Um, you know, for some local offices. Uh, what are the reasons you go vote then? You you know this. You know it's not monetary ROI. So what are the it's reasons? A, it's a civic duty, right? I feel sure. like I'm. It feels irresponsible not to. Um, I feel like it's uh, it's part of it's part of being an American and living in the country is you go and cast your ballot. Um, that, I mean, that's that's my yeah. big one. And realistically, yeah. it's it is strange in the sense that, you know, I, I do it for the presidential one, which largely doesn't have as big an impact as like a local like a local election. Um, they could do all sorts of things with like zoning laws and school boards and like sort of direct right. impact. Really, I should be voting in the local elections. 
Um, but I, you know, I don't, I, I don't yeah. feel that sort of civic tie to my community as I do to sort of my country. Yeah, no, and I think, but I think there's, but what you, what you say, I think is a very legitimate reason to, to go vote, right? You, it's a sense of duty or you feel good about it. You realize, Hey, mm-hmm. I, I get, I get a hand, you know, okay. It's probably right. not going to count, but I get to <laughs> cast that ballot. Yes. People do buy lottery tickets. Yeah. They go to the store, they buy lottery tickets. It's a bad monetary investment, <laughs> but you know, $2 to be able to dream that this happened, you're participating. So when you see the thing at night, you voted for somebody, right? That could have value. You're, you're one of those million. Um, now, a lot of people get really upset. And I'm guessing mm-hmm. there might be a couple people listening who are like, how could you even talk about voting this way? But I, the question I would ask anybody who would say, like, how could you be cold and calculated about voting is if you haven't voted in the primaries or the mm-hmm. local levels and you don't do it every time. And trust me, I, I know the voter records. Almost nobody <laughs> yes. does it every time. You you can't get upset. Right. Or right. you be upset at yourself first. Don't be upset mm-hmm. at us for calling out the fact that you're being hypocritical because you're not voting um, mm-hmm. mo- all of the time. When I, I helped um, somebody in a campaign once, we looked. It is a <laughs> bad. very small percentage yeah. who vote in all in the local in you know in the the local the you know the the off year primary the off year mm-hmm. general the presidential primary yeah. Who, presidential. who's going to sit on the city council yep. in this off year um, election in this small neighborhood so so i would say so those who come in and they're like oh, how could you even talk about this i challenge to think through this analysis for why haven't you voted in those smaller races and i think all mm-hmm. of it applies it takes time and effort to study these yep. too we talked about just going to the yeah. polling and that's probably not worth it um, how much time are you investing in learning who these people are? Yeah. And I, and that, and again, it goes back to the, the national versus local, right? I am better informed of positions of national candidates. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even go so far as to say a Senator. I'm talking like literally just the presidential candidates. Sure. Yep. And most of that is because I'm on Twitter. I, I follow yep. the news. I see what's happening. I, you know, I read the morning brew. I'm, I'm keeping up with sort of policy and statements, but those are, you know, they don't really like senatorial candidates. I don't really hear about what they're, what they're running on unless it's some sort of like high profile Senator case. Um, So in learning about it, I think it's at least for me, it is a, I'll say it's a passive investment part of my just sort of daily consumption of the news for the other races. I would have to like legitimately sit down and look stuff up and, um, I wouldn't even, I would, it would take me a while to even figure out who's running, where I find that list of people, what their kid, like, I yeah, might yeah. get the wrong, people have very common names, right? There's like a Mike Williams who might be running. I, I'm guessing you, you know, you, you could find those things somewhat easily, find but, it, but, it, still a but lot. it would take hours, I feel like, yeah. if I was looking at the entire well, battle, no, I agree. Right? I think it takes, like, I would, I, I don't think, you know, minimum of, of an hour, if you're looking at 12 races and want some, mm-hmm. you know, two, two or three paragraphs from each candidate. Yeah. Um, Another, so I think that's a good reason why a lot of people don't vote in these, you know, local or off-year races. They simply don't know. Like, there's a bunch of name for judges there. You've gone and studied what it is. I think actually another legitimate reason somebody might not go vote is, let's say, let's take the presidential and let's just, let's say the two favorites right now are Biden and Trump, right? We're not going to predict, but there is a, I'll mention something about predicting and gambling and these a little bit later, but those are the two favorites. If it's Biden and Trump in the general election, let's suppose that you really think um, that Donald Trump is better on uh, immigration, but you think Biden is better on abortion. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you don't get to split your vote. Yeah. Um, so you get to pick one. And it could mean like, well, I don't really care because the, these are the two things I care most about. Right. <laughs> um, and one of them's going to do what I like and the other's not going to do what I, you know, they're each going to get one of them right and one of them wrong, in my opinion. Then all of a sudden, doesn't really matter. And you could go and you could <clears throat> vote for a third party candidate, mm -hmm. of course, who. Um, but that's I think that's another legitimate reason why somebody may choose not to. Yeah, or at least no, that makes sense. Might say that, but um, have you ever gambled on politics on Predict It? No, but I, I you know, I see it come up every time, and I, it's, I, and this goes back to I'm not well enough informed. Like, sure, sure. I, you know, I, to be fair, right? So the idea is that the more the whatever that market is is supposed to reflect all the information that's available. It just it feels different. It feels different than like betting on a, betting on like a sports team. Like that, I don't know why I feel more knowledgeable about two sports teams than I do about two, which is actually sort of goofy if you think about it in the sense that I keep up with politicians, like what's happening on a day-to-day -day level way more often than I would watch a single team play a, a, yeah. a, a game. But I feel much more confident about betting on a game than I do on politics. Yeah. So when I mean, we talked a little bit about economic marginal analysis, economists have written, there's a famous New York Times op-ed, I think it might be Stephen Levitt, although I'm not 100%, that says, why vote was literally mm -hmm. the title okay. on that. And <clears throat> I, I do try to go vote most of the time, but the um, the, the the economics on it is, is kind of interesting to think about. But economists really helped create prediction markets in general. Mm -hmm. And the the one that I know of now that's big and actually legal to use uh, is predictit.org is the name of the site. What what I like about these prediction sites is it is indeed, as uh, Jadrian, as you said, it's people betting on them, betting yep. on the candidates. And if people who are in the know think that no have information and see a market that's well off, they should be able to go in and exploit it and tell the price is more or less accurate. Mm -hmm. So right now it says uh, Donald Trump is the uh, is selling for 77 cents, okay. which would indicate um, usually it might be just a hair inflated. You're going to lose a little bit on the juice, but mm -hmm. some maybe 75% chance he's the nominee hmm. for uh, GOP. Uh, Nikki sense. Haley's at 18 cents right now for the... And on the Democratic side, it's Joe Biden is at 78 cents. And if you're not looking, do you know the guess, uh, which it's kind of crazy, they're about the same, right? In terms of the odds. Uh, you have a guess at who the number uh, two I mean, is? On the Democratic. Well, if when RFK was running, I would have picked him, but he's he's independent now. Um, is it is it Kamala? It is. Uh, it is not. Number two is Gavin Newsom, uh, California governor. So, OK, at 13 cents. OK. And then I'll, I'll click on this and uh, yeah, Harris is at seven cents. She's in third. But, but you know what's so wild about this is we're, we're, we're looking at it now, right now. And by the time that this episode drops, the Iowa primaries would have happened. And so realistically, these numbers are about to swing very yep. different than what we're talking about yep. now. So you can use this as a historical fact. Uh, <laughs> and when you log on, look at predict it and see yep. how much has changed uh, in that. We are recording period. this on January 11th and it should drop yeah. on January 18th. I guess to be fair, they probably have a chart that shows the historical. They, they do have they yeah. do have the chart, but um, but it, it it'll be interesting to see how it all swings. Um, but economists created these prediction markets, 
and they've they're been shown to be more accurate than polling because um the people who use do the wagering of course they can take the polls into account but they could take any other information into account and a little bit more accurate they've i know in previous um they've been used for sales predictions like some people yeah. have tried to put these in internally like how much will we sell as a company and of course huh. the people who are on the ground pretty good at that and that market yeah. is reasonably efficient uh <clears throat> there used to be a site called in trade that predated predictive okay and in my game theory class i actually had the students go in i didn't have them gamble on the site but i would have them they could take a market and they because they had to throw money and they could make a wager through the class and there was a bankroll where i could kind of cover um they actually had one this would be back in like 2009 2010 on the odds that osama bin laden would be killed or neutralized by any particular date like you could literally wager on whether uh terrorists would be killed so i mean it's kind of morbid it's kind of interesting mm -hmm. for a defense point of view um a debate like they could have some like would there be a major terrorist attack on a particular day which is kind of crazy to think about people could bet in favor of that yeah from a defense industry point of view the military might actually want th that information um because if that number starts to go up they have information that seems a little bit more credible that something might happen and they could try to figure out what's going on so yeah, I, I was saying, I saw a yeah, I saw a Reddit post actually that was, uh, would it be considered insider trading if the people on the Boeing planes like started selling stocks as the door comes off? Like, um, right? That sort of who who knows who knows what, and can you capitalize on it in these markets? That's kind of fascinating, right? If they were, if it was during the day or they don't even have, uh, if they started to short Boeing the moment they. That's what they said is right. The, the door pops off. You put your noise canceling headphones on and just oh, start, just start, just calmly trade while everyone else is freaking out. I don't know the laws on that to me. It's, but I think it's public knowledge, it's right? Public everyone, everyone information. In the, everyody in the plane knows. Um, so I, oh man, well, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the, they, the, thank you, Reddit. That's yeah, let me, thank let you, me give all that credit to Reddit. It was not me. So, so that's a, another interesting part. Al Roth won a Nobel Prize for his work in market design, and I like to think of these types of prediction marks. So, I teach about it in game theory cool. because this is uh, the design of markets, and economists mm -hmm. have been behind these. And if you are an election aficionado or a politics aficionado on primary nights, go to predict it. They will know before the commentators know. Well, well, they'll know before the commentators will tell mm -hmm. you on TV yeah. what's going to happen. Um, because you will start to see if, for example, in the um, a particular primary, if somebody might be pulling off an upset, they might go into the day selling for, say, 10 cents a share. But then maybe by 840, there are these experts who are going in and they're analyzing the numbers and they're realizing, whoa, wait a second, in this county... We would have expected mm -hmm. Trump to have this percentage, and he's only at this percentage, which really is great for whoever else. And they might start to pour money into somebody else, and it really shifts the market. So it's if you, I have followed them both in 2016 and 2020 presidential elections. The prediction markets were absolutely wild to follow as it was happening. It was. Um, well, so you know what's kind of interesting about this particular, I will say again, presidential election, not the uh, not all the other races, 
is normally, I think if we had recorded this, oh man, I, I don't even want to say in any other year. If this was, if this is recorded four years from now, I, maybe that's the best, uh, the best time. Cause I have to just given science, I have to imagine that in four years from now, we'll have two different candidates um, who are running for president. I just, one can I mean, give it we're already talking about their age now i can't imagine right for that four years from now that they're back so let's say for four years from now we have yeah. brand new candidates normally our conversation on voting would be talking about the median voter theorem i think ev- it, except for like the past two i guess this one and the the one maybe four before but even if you go back uh to sort of trump's first term 2016 we still would have probably talked about the median voter theorem and this idea, and we could we will define what that means in just a second. Um, we would have talked about it in in 2016, but you know 2020, it seemed like we, we, it didn't matter. Um, it almost seemed sort of obvious, uh, and especially this one, it almost feels like, what's the point of even talking about the median voter theorem? We've yeah. essentially picked the two candidates, not necessarily, but, but ju- I would say just the general idea of the median voter theorem. Do you want to explain it, or do you want me to? Uh, either way, um, okay. I feel like so, I've talked a lot, so I'll let you do this. <laughs> no, that's all right. Well, so it's, I think it's really fascinating. And so if you've ever, so sort of the framing of it is always that, um, have you ever wondered why, I guess economists love asking questions. Have you ever wondered why in the primaries, the candidates that are running for their party's nominee always seem more, um, what's the phrase? More so the polarized polar. to the right or to polarized, the right. Polarized, yeah. yeah. Right, the sort of the GOP candidates seem to be more polarized to the right, the Democratic candidates more polarized to the left. And then all of a sudden, when the general election shows up, you move to the middle and you try to capture that. Uh, well, I'm going to give it away that median voter, yep. uh, the person in the middle are those independents. And so, again, except for like maybe 2020 and especially this one. Um, we see that normally is that you know when people are campaigning in their parties, they tend to take more. Ex- I don't want to say extreme, but it's the median of their parties. Yep. So they're the mid- so t- they take everybody on the right. You try to be in the middle of all the people on the right, but then when you're running in the general election, you sort of scoot over to the left a little bit so that you can capture all of those other people. Did yeah. I kind of summarize? Yeah, I think that so. In I mean, enough way backing away from the primary system, right? If you just had a you know, 101 voters, whatever, it's the 50, you know, and you rank them from politically, let's say it's a line, right? Mm -hmm. We know it's not a line, there's a bunch of issues, but um, somebody from most on the left to most on the right, there would be a voter number 51 who is right in the median, and half Mm -hmm. of them are more um, to the right politically, and half are more to the left. That person has a ton of power. Yes. First, because everybody will want to capture the middle, knowing the left and the right will kind of go to one side or the other. But, and the idea is that you vote for who's closest to you. That's that's yeah, another yep. part of that that story. And then if in the Republican primary, it's going to be mostly those, you know, about the approximate half of the people on the right and the Democratic, it'll be on the left. So the Republican side, the median candidate might be targeting voter number 75 if we're going mm-hmm. one is to the left and 75 is to the right. And on the Democratic side, it's voter number 25 instead of going for voter number 51. Yeah. And I to, so what's kind of interesting, I think, is um, so I've watched all the I want to say I've watched all of them. I think I think I've come pretty close. If I haven't watched all of the Republican primary uh, the debates, um, oh I've gosh. come really close. Bless you. I've watched zero minutes and I, I enjoy watching. I, I like okay. watching primaries. Um, I don't like watching. Pre- Man, watching the presidential debates last time were 
so I hated it Um, because they were just yelling at each other. So like, it just, I I would turn it off because I'm like, please, I actually want to, I actually want to hear what you're saying, right? Like that was always my thing is I'm trying to be an informed voter. I would like to hear. So I've watched the Republican ones. Um, Again, I want to know. And you can sort of see it, right? You can sort of, and maybe you've seen it in sort of headlines that have come out after each one, that during the Republican primaries, they tend to take um, fairly strong, I would say incredibly strong conservative stances that realistically would not be popular in a general election. Um, So I think of things like, uh, there's a couple of candidates who talk about like invading Mexico to shore up the border. That works really well in in a primary group you can't sell that message. I don't think you can sell that message to the whole country. That's not an electable issue. Um, But it's it's sort of interesting to see it in the primaries, except, you know, this year, the leading candidate is not participating in those debates. Uh, So you don't get to sort of hear the normal, natural uh, progression of ideas that happen. So I I like to listen. Um, I like to listen to them. I wish there was a democratic debate. I would listen to that. Um, But there's not yet. Who knows? Apparently, there's a twenty plus percent chance it's not Biden. I that, that to me it's that, striking. That that is somebody that's somebody voting on his death. That's that's what that is. Those the, are the votes people who on... are voting against that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think right. that's so what it is. Could, they... If you think there's or death or incapacitation, right? I think if you know he's or... old enough that you know maybe something happens. Um, yeah, and then you know who's the next person. But and if you want to do that, right, if you think that there's a reason, if you think it's a better than one in three shot, one or one in four, one in five, actually, 20, you get, you could risk 22 cents to win a dollar. Um, right. um, and then, uh, so there's, that's out there. If you think, given, oh, yeah, given 50, their ages, right? What? given their ages, those, yeah, I, I, I'm going to say they're not bad bets in the sense that they're both over 80. Um, and so there's, two, I mean, we, right, we've, we, there's plenty of people who live into their 90s and there's some that live into their hundreds. But yeah, I think life expectation once you hit 80 is, you know, and, I, and I, don't, I mean, the odds that you get yeah. de- death or incapacitation in the next nine months is pretty low. Well, so uh, actually, well at least death, incapacitation. A, sure. I have a really interesting, this might be interesting for our listeners of a, you know, did you know sort of thing. I have always wondered this. Matt, do you know what, so whenever the, uh, so I'm going to flash forward uh, to um, the conventions when they have picked their nominee, when they okay. actually have decided who they want. Do you know what happens, say, like November 2nd? Let's go not voting day. I don't know what day we vote on. I hope it's not November 2nd. I'm guessing it's probably like the third of them. Let's say October 30th. Let's let's go into October. Okay. So I know it's definitely not voting day. What do you know what happens if one of the candidates were to die before the election? Um. If it's like right before it is, it's November 5th. Uh, actually, I'm not 100%. I would assume the vote goes on and that person's vice president would be elected president, but I don't know. No, that's not that's not what happens. Okay. That's so, so I, I don't remember why I learned. I think I, I think somebody had brought up, I think I'd, I'd read about it in the sense of, again, talking about Biden and Trump's age. Um, they had talked about sort of what happens before. So when you are casting your ballot, um, you are casting it for the party, not for the person. Yep. And so the party can then go back and then renominate somebody to fill in that spot. Okay. I, and I have, I didn't know, I remember that happening in mm-hmm. uh, a couple Senate races where somebody yeah. died, like uh, in Minnesota, Paul Wellstone died mm-hmm. a week or so 
10 days before and i think yep. all the ballots had been printed so exactly yeah they can't print a new one they can't find a new yep. person and on so time. the democratic party said this will be our person instead yep. yeah yeah um no that's interesting that's interesting mm -hmm. so we um I think uh, so voting, hopefully this was informative <laughs> for the listeners, right? I mean, a few different areas where economics applies, you know, the betting markets, the idea of marginal analysis, the mm -hmm. median voter theorem. But if you have anything you, you think we missed, please leave it yeah. in the comments. Uh, well, we definitely we, we missed talking about the free rider problem. Uh, but it goes back to the marginal benefit, marginal cost. Why don't we have great turnout at these events? Um, partly, so some of it is the cost, some of it's marginal benefit, marginal cost. But yeah. the other part of it, too, is... Because the cost is sort of in front of our face, it's a it's a real cost that we have to exhibit, um, and the benefit probabilistically seems pretty low. If I feel comfortable that I'm going to get the outcome that I want without having to put in effort, I have an incentive to free ride, um, and so I don't need to go participate. I'm going to get what I want. Yeah. That's not necessarily true in a swing state, but you know it goes back to that sort of strong red, strong blue state. If you live in a state that is strongly tied to your preferences. Yeah, why do I need to vote? It's going to be, I know who it's going to be. And I, I have heard kind of relate, not quite like that related some people, you know, one argument people would say about the voting, but if, but if everybody had this attitude that you don't yes. need to vote, um, then what would happen? Well, there's an equilibrium. If, if yes. a lot of people have that attitude, then all of a sudden your vote is worth doing, Correct. right? If, if, if all don't. of society thought, oh, it's not worth my time and you were the only person to vote. Well, yeah. Your expected benefits way higher. You're you're a dictator. You get to choose what happens. Um, but as more people, you know, if 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 it's far fewer, in some ways, I think it's a self-correcting mechanism. Yeah. If too few people go, then all of a sudden the vote, your vote is way more important. Uh, if too many, too many. That's probably the wrong phrasing. <laughs> but but if um 100 of the population goes, it's less likely your vote is the swing vote. Yeah. So that, I would say that's the only concept we didn't talk about, but we, I would say we skirted around it. We, we yeah. talked about, you know, why don't people vote? Um, part of that is just they're free riding. They're, they're going to get an outcome that, and maybe it's the outcome, like you said, Matt, where I like the policies of one. I like the policies of others. Why waste my time? I'll be half happy uh, regardless of who I pick. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. So the, um, hopefully if, if, but if you're listening and you're like, oh, Come on, how could you guys have forgotten this? X. Uh, leave, this. leave a comment. Leave a comment for us. If, if it's a big enough thing, right? The primary season goes on long enough. Maybe we'll do a different episode on hey, it. Hey, you know what? We got to come back in November. So it that gives us true. another. We, could talk, we can always talk about it again. We could talk about it again. Any pop culture that you'd like to discuss? Oh, man. I did not prepare pop culture, but let me hit the econ media library real quick. Yeah, I didn't. Um, you... I, I certainly didn't hit, think about it for voting today, so and especially I, since it, I think on a recent one, I gave a voting one. So, but... Well, so I do know before I'm going to search and see if I got anything off the top of my head. There are some scenes from Superstore. They had an episode about voting. Um it's you know set in, we talked about superstore yeah. before uh sort of like the office meets walmart they had an episode about voting and sort of this like marginal benefit marginal cost should we vote um those sorts of uh concepts kind of weave their way through but what was really interesting sort of in that particular episode is there's a big chunk of essentially corporations encouraging employees to vote a certain way and the employees were sort of they would look up who who was who it wasn't they're like why is our company telling us to vote for this and then other people are like yeah because that person's anti-union like and so there's this nice sort of um uh, rent seeking i don't rent seeking is maybe not the right uh the right word for this one but sort of this space of um, incentives are maybe not aligned between employees and workers and employers that's an interesting <laughs> one 
I'll give one um, that's not on, it's not on voting, but it's on a name we mentioned today. Uh, we talked about markets and Al Roth mm -hmm. a little bit. Okay. And I, um, I've started over break. I have a little bit more time. So I've, I've been preparing some videos uh, as Curb Your Enthusiasm has its okay. last season. I'm going to be dropping <laughs> weekly episodes on lessons. Yeah. And there's one called Lewis Needs a Kidney. Hmm. And it's about uh, Larry David's friend and he needs a kidney, but it's a good, um, it's a lot like kidneys. You can't buy or sell a kidney there. Are, it's, it's illegal in the U S to do that. So it, how, how do they get exchanged? They get exchanged through what are called matching markets. And these are the types of markets that uh, Al Roth really won his Nobel prize for the idea mm -hmm. of kind of market design, creating markets. Um, the idea that you may know somebody who needs a kidney, but you're not a match. And, but somebody else somewhere else in the country may need the kidney you have. And they have a friend who, and I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but uh, so the Lewis needs a kidney, Al Roth, uh, certainly not voting, but I thought, uh, yeah, it ties in a little bit here. Well, I'll give you a book recommendation since you brought up Al Roth and his matching markets. I don't know if you've read it, um, but he did write a popular press book called Who Gets What and Why? Uh, and so it talks about matching markets. And I mean, obviously there's a big section on the kidney exchange. Yeah. Uh, because he did so much work in that space. But it, it's, it was a great book. I really liked it. So for pop culture, I, I think you might have done a video on this, but or not a video, but a Substack post. One other, the bonus pop culture. So we're in 2024 now. This is the first one we're recording in 2024. What was your favorite book, econ or non-econ, of 2023? Um, okay. I know what I picked as my favorite book. Um, and this is, I will say... So when I make my favorite book list, I'm very, I, I get very particular because, right, like I'm, I'm basically saying like, this is my number one book of the year. Um, and so I, I get very nervous in terms of like the ranking and the order of it. Um, but I did pick an econ book as my number one book. I, when I read it, just absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, and I am actually mad that you asked me this because I feel like I'm going to butcher his last name and I'm going to feel so bad because he is the nicest guy. Um, it's by Eric Ongner. Uh, he's, I believe he's Swedish. Um, he's either Swedish or he's Danish. He's, it's, I'm going to say Swedish and I really, I hope I'm not wrong on this. Um, it's called How Economics Can Save the World, Simple Ideas to Solve Our Biggest Problems. Absolutely loved it. Fant I thought it was really great. Um, talked about all sorts of, I would say those sort of big problems that we always kind of pitch in economics. You know, you can use economics to save, uh, to save kids yep, in the hospital. Yep. You can use it for education. Um, but it was this sort of really neat examples of all. The, so he talks actually about the kidney exchanges in there, about how economics has been used to help people uh, move organs around and help save lives and, and kidney exchanges. So yeah. he it's actually that book that has how I learned about Al Roth's book. I had actually never read it before. And Al Roth's book is like a decade old, uh, but I learned about it from how economics saved the world. So okay. I always think about it in the sense of if a book leads me to another book, that's usually a sign it's a pretty good book. That's a, that's a good sign. That's a very good sign. What about you? Uh, it's tough to know what a best book is. I really enjoy Vince Flynn's books, and he comes up with one every year, so I mm -hmm. liked that. But in terms of one that's different, I'll go with a non-econ one. Um, okay. There were some econ ones that I liked as well, but uh, there's a book called A Gentleman in Moscow, and it, it's, it did not come out in 2022. No, it, but I think I've read this. Um, um, that, I, it was, it's a was a big thing i actually had the hardcover uh and it was 
Absolutely. So it's Amar Tolls is the name of the author. Just fascinating story. And there is a bit of economics in there because it's it's around the time of the Russian Revolution, approximately a century ago. And I'm mean, not giving much away here because this all happens in the first four pages. But a, but a person's essentially condemned to house arrest in this particular hotel in Moscow. Okay. And it's just the weird adventures that he gets within the hotel. So I, I thought I think that was the best. And there's certainly a fair amount of econ within it. In right. terms of, you know, the systems that are being set up, the Communist Party coming into power and how they went about things because they held some of the meetings at the at the hotel. So I think that was probably I think I'll go ahead and say that is the my number one book, but it is not a 2022 book. It's just no. I it I, and I haven't read it. I have seen it so many times. And I my guess is it's a pretty thick book, according to uh, it is. a It is a thick it's, book. Uh, it's I had it on a cruise ship, which is perfect okay. because I had no Wi-Fi. <laughs> And so, you know, then you just bring the book and you get a lot. Yeah. Of no, I, I think I've seen it a lot and I've, I've wanted to read it. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'd recommend it. I read several that you had recommended throughout the year, like the 50 inventions. I read Rockonomics. Which thing about the 50 invention? The 50 inventions that changed the yeah. world. Oh, I thought it was great. It's yeah, fantastic. it's fast. I really yeah. those those are the sort of fast reads because each one's only like three or four pages. So, yeah, I, I read a, I mean, a, several of the books that I did mm -hmm. really enjoy were your recommendations. So they were there was good stuff. So, yes. I read a lot. I, I, it's. I'm glad to hear that they actually were good recommendations, and that they you weren't disappointed with one of them. I was not disappointed at all. Good. Well, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, if you could give a five star review if you haven't already, and leave a comment, we would appreciate that. Um, I know on a personal. So this is the first one we've recorded since 2023. You know, yes. this is it, the, physically recorded since. Yeah. Yeah. Listeners have sent one, but we recorded. Um, we got news of Spotify, like 88 people on Spotify had us in their top 10 podcasts for the year. Mm -hmm. And I for being year one, I was just stunned because that's yeah. just one thing. I got that. We were in it was a I had a rough week the week before Christmas. And mm -hmm. that was just so like happy and cheerful. Like it was such yeah. cool news. It, it really means a lot. Everybody yes. listens. So thank you to everybody for supporting the show. And Jadrian, any final words? How was your cider? I'm not having a cider. The cider is my next drink. Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest. It's, deli it's Oktoberfest? delicious. It's, I love it. I love Oktoberfest. Mine, the non-alcoholic IPA is gone. So, uh, <laughs> but until next time, Jadrian. Awesome. Cheers, Cheers Matt.